Now, last Sunday on Easter, I asked you what stresses you out. And your answers, uh, there was a lot of, I mean, really hundreds of answers, but they really focused in uh, highly on family, parenting, uh, you know, marriage, stuff like that, finances, and health, uh, more than anything else. There was a lot of other stuff, and we read all of those, and it's really helping me understand, you know, where our congregation is. But I want to show you what the Bible says about all that, and this new collection that we're in, we're going to be teaching for five weeks on this topic. It's okay to not be okay. Say it out loud, just because you need to hear it, you need to know it. Say it with me. It's okay to not be okay. Why did I pick that title? Because people act like if you're depressed or you're battling anxiety, there's something wrong with you. Nobody feels like if you got a headache, there's something wrong with you, or if the doctor called, uh, lets you know you have blood pressure issues or you have cancer. No, nobody acts like that, that that's, you should be ashamed of that. But somehow, uh, a, a battlefield of the mind, it feels like there's something that we've failed in some way. And, but the Bible actually talks a lot more about the devil attacking your mind than it does your body. And when, when the Bible says God heals all diseases, he's talking about mind and body as well. So I want you to make sure you're here. Don't miss any of this over the next five weeks and bring somebody with you because anxiety, uh, depression, fear, all these issues right here are really, uh, as you're going to see, uh, a problem we all face. Now, I'm, I'm using a book called Anxious for Nothing by Max Lucado. It's really teaching me something about this subject. He starts it out by saying this, anxiety is like a meteor shower of what ifs. What if I don't close this sale? What if we don't get this bonus? What if we can't afford braces for our kids? What if my kids have crooked teeth? What if those crooked teeth keep them from having friends or a good career or a spouse? What if they end up homeless and hungry and holding up a cardboard sign that says mom and dad couldn't afford braces? That, that's the way fear builds into anxiety and eventually takes control of our lives. Now, fear and anxiety are two different things. Fear is you walk out in the, in, in the yard and you see a snake and you, you quickly just, it's an instinct. The hairs on your arm stand up. Some of you, when I said snake, you started freaking out just because of that word. That's fear. Anxiety says, I'll never walk in the front yard of any yard for the rest of my life. Some of you are okay with that if you've ever seen a snake. That's anxiety. That's irrational. And, and the Bible says we shouldn't live that way. The, the feeling that I'm going to never, ever, ever go there again is like I'm trying to be safe. But the Bible actually tells me that that actually harms me. Uh, it doesn't make me safe. Psalm 37 and 8 says, do not fret. It only causes harm. And that's really too, true. You could probably pick up any medical textbook and find about half the ailments listed there are either caused by anxiety or made worse through anxiety. And see, what makes it worse is that we tend to hide that more than anything else. That's why this series is called, It's Okay to Not Be Okay. It's not something you should be ashamed of or hide. It's okay that, to admit that you deal or struggle with anxiety or fear or depression. About 50 million Americans suffer from panic attacks every year or an anxiety disorder. It's the number one mental health disorder, um, anxiety is, in, in our world. The U.S., by the way, we're number one. Everybody shout, we're number one. USA, USA. We're number one in anxiety. <laughs> we are the most anxious nation in the world. It cost us about $300 billion last year. And depression is tripling in our culture with every generation. That is an alarming number. So you, you roll back to my parents' day, they're, gen, uh, they're uh, boomers. Boomers had uh, some anxiety, some depression. 
But Gen Xers, their children, had 300% more. And, and the Gen Xers' children are, are millennials, and they had 300% more than the Gen Xers. And it look, it's looking like Generation Z is going to be on that same path. It's an explosive problem in our world. Now, here's what the Bible says, that, that we're getting uh, farther and farther away from God's promise and presence when we follow culture. The Bible says that broad is the path that leads to destruction. That's the culture path. Like everybody thinks and says and does all the same things. And if you ever get out of the the line of the way they want you to act or they want you to think, then there's something wrong with you. That's that broad path. And the Bible says narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Okay. And here's what's happened in our world. We have everything in this country. I mean, Americans have money and technology, education and opportunities. We have more than most any country in the world. And yet somehow we have greater anxiety than the rest of them. And here's why, because we have everything but Jesus. We are running as fast as we can toward cultural solutions and the culture's idea, ideology of how to live your life. And we're leaving the path of God. Now, the Bible says God is the God of all peace. Everybody say all peace. All You don't have any peace that God didn't give you. You might have some momentary comfort that you think is peace, but you'll find out that it's sand. And when the next wave blows in, it goes away. If you have real peace in your life, it came from God. Second Thessalonians chapter three says, now may the Lord of peace, first of all, that's his title, Prince of peace. Okay. All peace. He's the embodiment of the Lord of peace himself. Give you his peace at all times and in every situation, the Lord be with you all. I love how the Bible gives so many superlatives. God's the God of every bit of peace. He's always going to have it and it's available to everyone. There is not a scenario. I have been a pastor for a long time, decades. There's not a scenario. I've seen every conceivable scenario, fear-based things, diagnoses of death, people who've been lost at, 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 at a young age uh, due to some accident or disease. There is not a scenario where God cannot provide peace in every way he does. But as we have said no to God and God's word and said yes to our culture, the results have been catastrophic. Studies show that less developed countries have more peace than we have. And when people leave those countries and move to America, guess what is true of all of them? They get stressed out. <laughs> we share our stress with them. According to a book by Robert Leahy, the average child today in America, just the average child, has the same level of anxiety that the average psychiatric patient had in the 1950s. We're surrounded. I got to give them the best. I got to make sure they've got the most. My, I got to make sure my kid has got an iPhone 747S because the kid down the road has 746. I got to give them everything. What you're giving them is more stress, more anxiety, more of a culture that is going in the wrong direction. We're surrounded by anxiety. And we have so much to be anxious about from the pandemic to politics, from war to racism. We have legitimate health concerns, but even if you're completely healthy, WebMD will find something for you to worry about. Go right now. My, my elbow popped this morning when I was brushing my teeth. WebMD will tell me what cancer that is a sign of. There's always something out there. Americans are more physically healthy than ever before and more mentally unhealthy. Health anxiety is an all-time high. It makes you wonder if the Apostle Paul, who wrote these very simple words I'm about to show you, was he completely out of touch with reality? When he just said this, and here's, here's the command from heaven, 
Be anxious for nothing. Have you ever noticed like when, when a politician or somebody on TV is asked a question, they give you this gigantic salad of words and they didn't answer the question. I love how the Bible just like, boom, this is, uh, be anxious for nothing. How is that even possible? Well, I want to, I do want to clarify that, that this is written in the, in the Greek originally. Okay. And this means to not be in a constant state of anxiety. Don't let anything keep you in a constant state of anxiety. Okay. Acute moments in your life raise anxiety. It doesn't mean you're in sin or that you're unhealthy, but in a constant living state. That's in the Greek present active tense. Uh, so that phrase means don't let anything give you ongoing permanent anxiety. Bible basically is saying he doesn't want you living in a prison of anxiety. And Jesus said this, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with the anxieties of life. That is exactly where we're at right now. It feels like Jesus was talking about 2022 in America when he said that. Our lives are so weighed down. So if you're wondering if this is you, here's a few signals that you can find. Are you laughing less than you once did? Are you increasingly negative and critical? Don't elbow your spouse, eyes on me. Do you assume bad things are going to happen? Most days, would you rather just stay in bed? No amens on that one. Just move on with Jesus. Do you magnify the negative and dismiss the positive? This is, this is a result of our culture. You're not a horrible person. God's not angry at you for that. You're not a terrible person. It's okay to be not okay right now. But we're going to look at what God's word has to say about this. And there is a power passage. Everybody say power passage. I'm going to show you five verses that will blow your mind if you can somehow learn to live them. Uh, but before we go, I want to tell you that sometimes you need this, this truth that you understand and you share, and then you need help to uh, apply that truth to your life. You might find yourself needing a counselor. You might find yourself needing, um, uh, you know, talking to your doctor about this. So I, I don't want to minimize this and say, all you got to do is have this Bible study. This is the truth, but sometimes you need help walking out that truth. Everybody got that? Say, I got it. All right, here's the, here's the power passage I want you to get, these four, five verses. Rejoice in the Lord. If it's underlined, I want you to say it with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the, say it all with me, come on. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That verse is going to be very important. We'll come back to it. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, of good report, if there's any virtue or anything praiseworthy, meditate. I should have underlined that. Say that word meditate on these things. Now, here's what I want to show you. The apostle Paul gives you this power passage, five verses. If your life could be right here, this, this is the antidote for a stressed out culture. Now I'm going to show you four things he says to do here, but here's the promise of what will happen. If you do those four things, let me back up this underlying part right here. Here's what's going to happen in your life. The peace of God, which blows all understanding, all reasoning, all knowledge, all facts, that peace will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. That's your promise. 
That's your, that's your, that's not just a promise for Bible scholars or pastors or Sunday school teachers or people who sing in the worship team. That's your promise. That's God, your father, God inspired those words for you to live by. I want you to understand you can get here. Are you hearing me? Come on, elbow somebody and say, you can get here. Tell somebody. You can, every one of you can get here. I need you to grasp this and hold on to this. You can get to a place where the peace of God transcends all knowledge. Doctor's reports, financial statements, what your boyfriend, girlfriend said to you, what your spouse has said to you, all those facts, God's peace will surpass all of that and guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. How do I get there? I got to do what the rest of this verse, this passage says. Let me show it to you. It actually lays out real nicely in the word calm. Everybody say calm. You notice this? He's going to tell you, celebrate God's goodness. That's what I'm going to talk about today. Rejoice in the Lord always. Find a way to celebrate. There's something to celebrate today. Ask the Lord for help. Pray about this. You've talked to everybody else. You've read everything there is to read about it. You've heard what, you know, all of the you know, popular voices have to say, talk to God about it. Leave your concerns with him. It says with thanksgiving, God, I'm thankful. And I am giving this to you. I am leaving this. Sometimes we pray about it. We talk to a prayer partner and then we take it up and we just think about it all the time. You're going to learn how to leave it there. And then finally meditate on the good things. Think about the things that are good and worthy of praise. You have some things like that in your life. And I'm going to help you find those. Today, I'm just going to talk about this one at the very top. We're going to talk about how to celebrate God's goodness. Now, let's talk about the crazy man who said, be anxious for nothing. Well, that's some preacher guy. He don't understand my issues. He probably doesn't. But man, he's a guy who would understand anxiety better than anybody. His name was Paul. Okay. He's a guy who is, at the time he writes this in, in, in the Philippian prison that he wrote this from, he has been preaching for 30 years. He, he was the pinnacle of popular culture, and then he met Jesus. Uh, historians believe he was married and his wife left him, lost his kids, lost, his, lost everything, and just went preaching the gospel everywhere he went. He was uh, traveled all over for 30 years at this point. He's traveled all over. He's been in every seaport in the Mediterranean. He's been chased and beaten for preaching the gospel. He's received 39 lashes five times. Now, you, you might have had a, had a beat down one time, but A grown man hit you 39 times with a whip. Happened five times to him. He'd been beaten with rods, you know, like like a a big reed, you know. Think about a cane pole. He'd been beaten three times with rods. One of those times, he was left for dead. Everybody just walked away, assumed he was dead. He's been in multiple prisons. He's endured shipwrecks and storms and starvation. And by this point, at 60 years old, he is most likely almost blind. From the blows he took to his face and his head, he is squinting to write these words down. His future is about as gloomy as the jail cell he's living in, and yet it sounds like he's in Jamaica. (laughs) He says, uh, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. (laughs) This is awesome in here, you know, rejoice in the Lord. I, I mean, here's the reality that that statement, that command to rejoice in the Lord always is a challenge and it's not a feeling. It's a decision. It's not an emotion. You will never get to that place because everything is in in order just well enough that now I can just rejoice. You're going to make your decision. So this is not some fancy TV preacher wearing a $5,000 suit smiling at you. This is a dude that is deep in the weeds of chaos. And he says, I'm choosing to rejoice anyways. You understand that? 
All right, so I want to show you something. Uh, speaking of TV preachers, this might be how they would start their sermon. To rejoice is a choice. We always know the best TV preachers start with rhyming lines. It really is a choice, though. It, 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 it's your decision. Because faith is a choice. Faith is, nobody's going to ever be able to prove to you that God is real or that God can do one thing or the other. You have to make that choice to decide. But here's the truth. To, to believe something uh, has to begin with, uh, or, or to change your behavior. Let me say it this way. To change your behavior, it begins with what you believe. Belief always precedes behavior. I want to change my behavior. I want to change the way I'm living. You got to change how you feel about that. So here's my question to you. What are you feeding yourself? Are you feeding yourself God's word? The Bible says faith comes from hearing God's word. If you're hearing God's word regularly, man, you're in the Bible, you're reading it, you're talking with friends, you're in a small group where you're discussing the Bible, you're coming together for worship, you're learning the Bible, man, you're getting fed with faith and it's going to be a whole lot easier to change your behavior. I want to be a person of faith. I want to get out of the dumps. I want to stop uh, uh, dwelling in depression. I want to expect the positive things. Well, before you can change your behavior, you have to change your belief. And the thought, well, you say, well, I believe in the Bible. Yeah, maybe you do. But the problem is you live on a steady diet of culture. By the time you do work for how many hours you go to school, for how many hours you do other things that are popular in our culture, you have been fed this culture, a steady diet of a godless culture. And so as much as you might up here believe that God is truth, you're not letting God's word marinate and ruminate inside of you. Probably right now, some of you are resisting the urge as your pocket is buzzing with the latest notification. Let me go and tell you what's on that notification. Nothing important. Absolutely nothing important. You need to silence all notifications from now until the return of Christ. <laughs> tell your neighbor, you can have my phone after Jesus comes back. Yeah, no, we're all going. No, don't say that. You, you don't need that stuff. That is such a, an annoyance and an invasion in who God wants you to be. You need to be filled with God's word over and over again. What we need is, is less world, more word. Less of this culture flowing into us and more of God's word. Here's the reality. God's in control. And when you get into his word, you will know and realize he is ultimately in control. It all comes down to that word. Everybody say control. All comes down to the word control. Who is in control? And that's where anxiety and stress comes from. When we feel like that, that things are out of control, out of our control, we get stressed out. We, we deal with anxiety. There were studies done from World War II soldiers. And the combat soldiers were the most stressed out people. They're down on the fields, on the ground, and they they, they were, uh, psychologists said they were emotionally dead because of the chaos around them. The communication was cut off. People are dropping like flies. There, there's, there's shots coming from every angle. And because they felt like this thing is out of control, they were emotionally dead and ineffective. Now, uh, contrast that to fighter pilots. Who, who died at a 50% clip. They were even more likely to die than the combat soldiers. And yet they reported 93% of them claimed to be happy at war. Why? Because they felt like they were in control. They had control of the throttle, the joystick of that fighter plane, and they were able to bank here or there, and they felt like they were in control. When we think we're in control, we don't have as much fear and anxiety. German researchers found that if you're in a traffic jam, you have a 300% greater likelihood of having a heart attack. Some of you are like, amen to that. My family is more likely to have a heart attack if I'm in a traffic jam. Okay? 
I raise everybody's stress level. And yet somehow, if you're barreling down the interstate at 80 whatever miles an hour, you feel like you're in control. I mean, there are cement trucks and 18-wheelers and 16-year-old kids on that road going 80 miles an hour, right? Driving. And you feel fine. Like You feel like that's great. Why? Because you think you're in control. That's why the most stressed out people in the world, this is a fact, are control freaks. And, and, and see, the apostle Paul was a control freak. He's a guy who could love to control things. He was, in fact, he was controlling people when God knocked him off of his horse and he met Jesus. Now, after he's lost everything and he's in a prison cell, things are more out of control in his life than ever before. That's where he finds peace. You know why? Because he decided instead of trying to control everything, I'm going to give up control to the only one who can maintain control. He decided, I'm going to give it all to Jesus. Here's what the Bible says, what Paul says. He says, God has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name that is above, say it with me, every name. He said, there is actually somebody who's in control and his name is Jesus. I'm just going to give him control. I want to tell you that as cliche as that may sound, that is the solution. If you're struggling with fear, and doubt, and worry, and depression, and anxiety, it's probably because of a loss of control. You've got financial problems, and this economy, and your job, or whatever, is out of your control. Maybe you've got issues with with a relationship that's out of control. you got a health diagnosis, and the doctors cannot control, nor can you control, what's going on with your life. It's a complete loss of control, and I want to tell you, God is still in control. Somebody say amen to that. God's still in control. He still owns the cattle of a thousand hills. That means he's got enough money to take care of you. He he still is the great physician. That means he can heal every disease. He's still the peace speaker, the God of all peace. He's still more than enough. And so you got to let God be God. Listen to me. You're terrible at being God. Haven't you tried that? Have you tried to get people to do what? Listen, I'm telling you, I can fix everything. I can fix this economy. I can do what I tell them to do. I can fix the politics, I can fix this nation, I can fix this church, I can fix you. Just do, here's the truth, you won't let me be God and I'd be awful at it if you would. And so would you. So stop trying to be God in small, that sounds crazy that, you know, that I would say I'm trying to be God, over, but you're doing the same thing. Stop trying to be God over the small issues in your life and let God be God. Everybody say, let go, let God be God. He's the only one who can do that. Isaiah was an example of this. I'm going to say this in closing. Isaiah was an example of this. Come on, play the piano. I'm out of time. Isaiah lived in the 8th century BC, and there had been, he lived in Judah, tiny nation in the middle of uh, a bunch of nations who hated them, and yet they'd lived in, in peace because of a great leader named Uzziah. Now Uzziah died. Everybody's freaking out. They knew how steady and strong he was, so nobody would attack. And now there's no king, there's no leader, and all the pressure's on Isaiah, because he was the prophet, to anoint a new, great, young, powerful, capable king. Do something, Isaiah. Get the troops together, Isaiah. Put troops around the borders of the nation. we got to do something. Isaiah had an interesting plan. He decided instead of taking the bull by the horns, he would withdraw and worship. And actually, that's where... This phrase comes from here, Isaiah 6 and 1. You might have heard this before. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Everybody wanted him to see a new great king. He was looking at everything down here. He said, no, I saw the Lord. 
He was sitting high on the throne, lifted up. The train of his robe filled his temple. The angels cried, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Everybody wanted him to fix, find this person, get the troops together, answer my question. He said, you know what? I'm going to stop looking down here. The Lord's up there. That reveals this truth right here. The solution to your anxiety is always heavenly. No, if, that, if I just got a pay raise, no, it's never going to be enough money. No, if, if, if I could just get this part of my health fixed, let me tell you, there's another ailment around the corner. If I could just get this relationship under control. You know, relationships, like they're like trying to hold water in your hand. You might be securing this part, but it's leaking out over here. There's another relationship. If you're trying to fix your problems down here, you will run yourself to death. Yeah, maybe you can apologize to somebody and heal up a relationship. Maybe you can get on the Dave Ramsey plan and, and secure your finances. But let me tell you, you will never, never, never find all your solutions here. You got to look up, get into his word, get into his presence. Trust God for the solution because man will always fail you. That same Isaiah, years later, he said this, those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They're going to soar high. Remember what he just said? He said, I saw the Lord. What? High. Everybody say high. High and lifted up. He, he was looking up here. Is it, is it any surprise that, that a man who had decided to abandon human solutions and look high later says, you know what I did when I trust in the Lord? Now I'm soaring high on wings like eagles. You're going to run and not be weary. You're going to walk and not faint. Your solution is in God's presence. What, what, what happened for Isaiah was God did not remove the problem areas around him. See, a lot of times God doesn't want to remove your problem. He wants to reveal his power. He doesn't want to fix. You, you've got a quick solution. God actually is not going to give you the quick fix because he wants to do something inside of you. He wants to reveal his power inside of you. And so if, what do I do today, pastor? I need something to do today. I'm struggling. I'm dealing with anxiety. This is freaking me out. Some of you joining us online right now, you're not even getting out of the house because of the depression, the anxiety. What is the one thing I can do? I'm going to leave you with this reality right here. Worship. Worry, rather. Cannot withstand worship. Worship is the antidote for worry. If you're consumed with worry and fear and anxiety, you can worship it out of your life. You do what Isaiah did. Get to the place you see the Lord. Get along with him. Get into his presence. Worship and sing. Get along with his word. Convince yourself of what God's word says. Shift your focus off of here on to there. Jeremiah said, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Listen, listen to the payoff. This person is going to be like a tree planted by the waters. And he's, come on, say it with me, church. He will not fear and he will not be anxious. There's your promise. Either you believe in God's word or you don't. Either you can trust him or you can't. And here's, here's what I feel like. Um, worked on this message for a while, but as the weekend got closer and closer, I felt like I heard the Lord say, we need to repent of trusting in man or man-made solutions. We've trusted in so many things that are not heavenly, so many things that are earthly, 
so many things that we can control that we have failed to give ultimate control to God. I think that's an important step to repent of those things that we've leaned on, get them out of our mind, out of our heart, out of our lives, and make room for the Holy Spirit to guide us and be our comfort.